God, we thank you for uh, the chance it is to be encouraged by your scripture. We thank you for its faithfulness to speak truth and love into our lives. We thank you for um, the beautiful picture it gives us of our Savior Jesus, how great he is and how much he has given for us. Um, God, nothing compares. And so may our response be in kind to what he has done for us, Lord. Uh, May these words from these few verses uh, challenge us practically to to be hands and feet in our world and to show the love of Christ to those around us in every way we can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are looking at uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, and I'm just going to go verse at a time through our deal, so I'm not going to read the whole passage right now. because there's not a lot of context you have to pick up on. It's really just like uh, statement after statement after statement that we're going to apply uh, throughout our time together. So I want to start out uh, with something else. Um, has anyone ever heard of, I know you have, and so I really shouldn't ask you the question, but uh, Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf? Anyone know this story? Okay. What happens in Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf? Any quick, what's the, what's the, one sentence summary of Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. <laughs> That's right. See? I knew. See, there's a school teacher in the house. This was going to be, we were going to be okay. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, the wolf goes in, takes Grandma's place, dresses up like Grandma, and confuses this little girl into thinking that she is, or the wolf is Grandma, right? And this is how it goes down, right? There lays the grandmother with her cap pulled far over her face and looking very strange. And Red Riding Hood says, Oh, grandmother, she said, what big ears you have. All the better to hear you with, my child, was the reply. But grandmother, what big eyes you have, she said. All the better to see you with, my dear. But grandmother, what large hands you have. All the better to hug you with. Oh, but Grandma, what a terrible big mouth you have. All the better to eat you with. And scarcely had the wolf said this, then with one bound she, what, goes and eats the child, right? So, why in the world am I talking about the big bad wolf? The big bad wolf came to mind when I was going through this passage because I was thinking about the purpose of our bodies, right? God has given us bodies for a purpose, to do something positive with. And here, you know, the fact is a lot of times with our bodies, we act like the big bad wolf. (laughs) We use them to gain what we want and destroy other people's lives. We do it all the time. But God has given us bodies uh, with a purpose. And so often we use them like a wolf for our own pleasure. uh, And this passage is going to challenge us to use them as intended. You know, we've been going through this whole book of Hebrews, uh, seeing this one argument that Jesus is the greatest individual that has ever lived, that he stands beyond all eternity, outside of time, above time, creator of our world, and he steps into it and gives himself for us. And, and the challenge from the whole, the whole of the book has been, hold fast your confession to Jesus as your Lord. And that has rolled us into this last chapter. From 1 to 12, that's been the argument. Jesus is the greatest there is, greater than angels, greater than creation, greater than Moses, greater than anyone that you've ever hoped in. He's the greatest. And what he did for you 
was the greatest thing he could possibly do, which is completely give himself up for you. Step down from heaven for you. And so in this last chapter, we see what should be a natural reaction to what has occurred in Christ. We see some very practical steps that that should happen. In our passage, we see that our bodies are intended not to bring harm on people and deceive them, but rather to bless and to encourage and to stir each other up in good works. Uh, You know, last week, Sam talked about this beautiful uh, picture that's painted in chapter 12 of the difference between uh, the Mount Sinai and the Mount Zion. That at one time, God was unapproachable. And that if you even touch that mountain, you should be stoned and die because of his holiness that is there. And that now in the new covenant, what we see is Mount Zion, where living things come and fellowship untogether, one another, together, one another. And, uh, and that God has made himself approachable to us through the very blood of Jesus. And through that blood, we are to be approachable to those around us. And that's exactly what our passage speaks about throughout today. Um, these are instructions for how we are to live this unshakable kingdom. Last week we looked at it and looked and saw that this kingdom is unshakable, that our God is unshakable, that he's a consuming fire. So how do we live as people, part of that kingdom? Well, he, uh, the, the author here uh, shifts very quickly into very practical, bullet-by-bullet things that we can do to live out the kingdom. He shows us how we are to care for one another. We're going to see it in uh, at least five ways uh, this morning. The way in which, as we look at the care of Jesus for us, that we ought to care for those around us. That our level of care should reflect his level of care for us and for our hearts. So first, uh, verse 1 it says this, Let brotherly love continue. We're to care for the church. We're, we're to care for the church. Our, our first priority toward, is, is toward one another, to care for each other. Jesus said, as he's speaking to his disciples, that the world would know you by your love for one another. As, you, as the world looks into the community of faith and says, they are taking care of each other in extreme measure. Care for the church. Have mutual regard for one another. The word used there for our love is Philadelphia, and so you think of the city of brotherly love, which sometimes isn't the city of brotherly love. Anyway, um, but our regard for one another ought to be um, great. We ought to demonstrate love one to another in everything we can. This abrupt instruction, this instruction may appear abrupt in the course of the argument, but but again, this has been a direct flow from, the, uh, from what we've seen in Jesus. If Jesus, the, the king of the universe, would come down and love us such that he would give his life for us, our love for one another, the church, the brethren, ought to be the same. And so he encourages them, let brotherly love continue among yourselves. Stay unified in your love for one another. Care for the body of believers. Second, he goes on and says, care for, I'm going to say in quotes, strangers. Care for strangers. Uh, Verse 2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, 
for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The idea here of strangers is that um, in, in this period of time, uh, people who traveled had very few options. So when they traveled, there wasn't like, you know, a, a big list of, uh, on Priceline.com of uh, hotels that you could stay at when you're traveling through Rome. It just didn't exist. You didn't pull up your phone and be able to access all the reservations that you need to and use your points and your cash and whatever to secure yourself a reputable space in which to live for the period of time that you were there. And so this instruction to care for strangers is, is really speaking of care for the traveler that is in need. Um, one of the commentators that I was reading this week is Donald Guthrie, um, and he says this about travel during that time. It says, In the environment of the early church, it was essential, since alternative facilities for travelers were such that Christians would not choose to make use of them. Uh, wayfarers' hostels, where they existed, were no- notorious for immorality. If you were going to go to an inn that might, might be there in a city, you were likely going to be faced with immoral behavior of, you know, use your imagination, any kind. And so it was essential for the church to stand against that culture and say, and offer their homes as hospitality for those that would be coming through their towns, these travelers, these strangers. These strangers could be, uh, could be Christian or they could not be Christian, either way. Whether believers or not, entertain, it says. Uh, show hospitality to these strangers. Thankfully, we don't live in that type of environment where we're, we're dependent upon, uh, where, where we cannot depend upon uh, hotels and, and things of that nature in which to stay when we're in travel. We'll be traveling next week, and I'm thankful that we've got a nice place to stay in Memphis. We hope it's nice, you know. All the reviews look good. You know, we've been able to check it out. Uh, we have pretty good confidence that it's going to be okay for us to stay there. We don't live in this type of culture, but they did. They depended upon the, the, uh, the help from other people to care for them as they needed to travel throughout the, throughout the world. And so his encouragement to this group of believers is to show hospitality to strangers, to not neglect that, to, to show care for them. How do we apply that? I think I was reading another person about this, and one of their encouragements was, or one of their, uh, I guess, observations was that it's actually cool to step back and see in our time that hospitality in the home, in churches, is on the rise. I mean, there are tons of churches across America that are thankfully using their homes for the benefit of hospitality, for inviting people in. We had a great time at y'all's house last night, inviting together and spending time in fellowship together. That's entertaining strangers, right? That's showing hospitality in in a positive way. It's over meals and food and conversation that we grow closer to each other and can know one another's needs and be able to help each other in those ways. That's why we are so uh, focused on having a weekly community group, is that we see each other's faces, and we pray for each other, and we say, oh, I can give you a ride here or there, or I can help you with this or that. It's community, right? It's knowing each other and loving each other and being there for one another. Um, and, and so we, we, we desire to do that, not just to those that we love and those that are near or those that are friends of friends or whatever, 
we desire to do that to anybody that God puts in our path. I was reminded this week of a passage that we read in Acts that, uh, that tells us that the times and places that we live are not by accident, uh, but that God has purposed them for his glory and for his good. Acts seventeen twenty six to 27 says this, And he, God, made, every, uh, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling. God has determined the time in which you live, we in 2016 and before and beyond, uh, and, and the place, we in Clearwater and the greater Tampa Bay region. He's determined those things. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far away from each of us. God is present in this place, and he has brought you to this very city, at this very location, at this very time in your life, that others might come and see you, that you might, that others might come and see God, that you might come and see God. So as we see all that God has blessed us with, we ought to be open-handed with that and, and care for those around us, showing them the hospitality that's been shown to us in Christ. We care for the church. We care for strangers, be it travelers or, or those that, come in, that we come into contact through various means. Third, we care for the afflicted. Verse 3 says this, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those, as those who mistreated, since you are also in the body. Uh, prison at this time was different. Uh, if you were a prisoner at this time, you were either, if you were wealthy, you were under house arrest, and no sustenance was provided to you. If you were going to get any sustenance, it would be from those coming to you and bringing you food and bringing you help and using, maybe using your funds, if you're wealthy enough, uh, to procure those things that you need while you're under house arrest. Or you were pretty much in a holding cell to be uh, put before trial and die. There's really two options in jail at that, at that point. Uh, certain death or, or relying on others to provide your needs. They didn't, you know, they didn't provide much to you. And so as we remember the context of Hebrews, we know that these Hebrews are being persecuted for their faith. And many of them are being placed in jail or afflicted because of their profession of Jesus as Lord. And so the instruction to the church is very clear. Not only hold fast your confession, but remember those who have so held fast their confession that they are in prison and afflicted because of their faith. And care for them. Remember them just as if you were in prison yourself. Remember them just as if you were to be afflicted yourself. That's a difficult instruction. I don't know if you know, but like helping a criminal that's committing the same crime that you are committing, (laughs) it's sort of a risky business, right? I mean, if you're an accomplice to this person who is claiming Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar as Lord, you know, it's going to be pretty easy to find you out. Maybe subject you to the same kind of torture and punishment. But he says, remember those just as if you were there. Remember those just as if you were mistreated. Care for the afflicted. Care for the strangers. Care for the church. Care for marriage. 
verse 4. He says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. Why does he bring this up? Just as in Corinthians, we saw that there were some views about marriage that were skewed because of uh, either their uh, belief about the body uh, or just their simple immorality. The same is true here. This is a message against uh, those who were the ascetics, who would uh, basically leave their marriages out of a holy calling to be, uh, to be Christian. It was what they were thinking. And, and Paul came against those very strongly in 1 Corinthians and does so today as he says, uh, let marriage be honored among all. Let it be honored. Let it not be disdained. Let it not be uh, torn down. Let it be honored. Some were actually leaving marriages because they thought they were called out of marriage by Jesus. And he's saying, no, you've made a covenant between God and man. And you need to keep that. So keep it. Keep it held in honor. And he comes against those also who, who went into adultery. And in, in Corinth, the same situation was there. There were some that said, well, since I'm just spirit and the body doesn't matter, I can do whatever I want with the body. And so they were led to promiscuity and, and engaging in temple worship at the temple in Corinth. He says, hold marriage in honor and hold the marriage bed undefiled. This is instituted by God for good. Care for your marriage. Finally, he says, care for yourself. Verse 5. He says this, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have to care for our hearts. The fact is, we all know that we have a propensity within ourselves to go after the things that we want and to stack them up and look at them and say, ha, look at all these things that I've got. They're so cool. (laughs) When they're just dust, they're going to burn, you know? Like, they're just going to go away. In a hundred years, they'll be toast, you know what I mean? But we so have hearts after shiny things that we want to build up into our lives, And so the instruction here is to guard yourself, care for yourself, flee from the love of money knowing it is is futile, and trust in the provision of God. Be content in what He has provided for us. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. This is... uh, this is a balancing act for us in, in some ways. And we talked about this a little bit at Bible study. How do you, how do you balance uh, being a good worker then? Should we just all be ascetics and just leave and not gain any possessions and just have no possessions and just free ourselves from possessions totally? And it's not that. There's a balance between contentment and ambition. The fact is our single ambition, as we've seen through, uh, through all of Hebrews, really is to glorify God with all that we are. He has given us everything in himself, and so we ought to give him everything back. And so 
Our single ambition is to work as though we're working for the Lord, to, to see our Lord as our master. And, and one of the things we talked about on Tuesday was that, um, you know, when I've been asked career advice, I never tell people to think about the money when they're accepting a position. It, don't get me wrong, it's important. It's important to make, you know, a good decision, get a job that can take care of yourself and your family and do the best you can with that. But if it's your only motivating factor to, make, to maximize the amount of money you're making with it, it's not the only issue that you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about how you can please the Lord in your work. Our single ambition is to work for the Lord. And so in our careers, every decision that we make should be, uh, should be guided by that idea and not by the maximization of our wealth. Does God uh, use wealth for his kingdom? He certainly does. He talks about wealth more than any other subject uh, throughout the Bible. But we are to honor him with it, not becoming lovers of the money we receive, but realizing it is a blessing from the Lord and be content with what he has given. The fact is, when you make the Lord your single ambition, even at work, he takes care of you. Like he says here, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Will there be hard times? Will you be at the end of your rope and, and financially? Yeah, there will be times that you're at the end of your rope and you need to help, <laughs> like bad, you know? But he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And will there be times that when you're working hard for the Lord, that he will bless you and give you great gain? Yes, he will. But when your heart has been in a place where you're working for him, when that gain comes, you will also submit that to him, and he will get the glory. We have to care for ourselves knowing that our hearts are dark and, and desirous of things that are shiny, uh, things that we can be, uh, take pride in. May our only pride be found in the Lord and what he's done for us, and that he has been our provider, and that he has been our sustainer. We had to care for ourselves. We had to care for our marriages. We had to care for the afflicted, for the strangers that are traveling in our midst. We had to care for the church. This is what we do with our bodies. This is what we do with our bodies. This is the reason our bodies have been given to us, is to bless, is to encourage, is to stir each other up unto good works. So we go with this as we reflect on this passage. Our body is given for kingdom living. Your eyes, right? What got me to this grandmother illustration was I was thinking about how our, what our eyes do and what our ears do. And, and then I started thinking about this, uh, you know, the wolf using these things for ill. But our eyes are given for purpose, right? Are they given to see for our own pleasure? No. They're given to see the needs around us with. I was thinking about this uh, just throughout the week, and I was thinking about how, like, you guys see me, right? You all see me. Like, if I turn around, you see me, right? You see my whole body, right? I don't see me. Like, unless I hold my hand up to my face, I can see my hand. But I don't see myself. I think there's a purpose in that right? That I'm not the center, okay? 
you guys are what I should be focusing on. And for you, you guys are what you should be focusing on. And for you, you guys are what you should be focusing on, right? Your eyes are given to see around you, not to look at yourself and to see how great you are. There was a time where mirrors didn't exist, where we didn't have, you know, phones where you could be like, "Mm -hmm, looking good today, you know? Our eyes are given to see, not for ourselves or our own pleasure. Our eyes are given to see the needs around us. Our ears. Why do we have ears? To hear ourselves talk? If you're talking just to yourself, you know, I mean, you need to think about that. Our ears are given to hear other people speak, to hear other people's hearts, to hear other people's struggles and pains, to hear other people's joys, not to hear ourselves speak. Our hands are given to open doors to people, to look for opportunities to help people, to lift a box and help someone move into a house, to help someone change a tire on their car, to help someone go get food. Our hands are are given to do things, not for ourselves, but for others. Our feet are given to take us places, to go and to visit, to help other people. Our tongues are given to speak loving truth to one another. Our tongues aren't given to build up ourselves, to strengthen ourselves. Our tongues are given to strengthen others. If God is speaking to me throughout the week as I prepare a message, and I just got up here and was like, would that be helpful? No. God has given me a a role to play, to to look at God's word and say, this is what the Lord is saying from this passage. And, And the truth is, he's given each of you that same role, to look at one another and say, I see you're struggling with this. Let me encourage you. The Lord is faithful, and he is good, and he is loving, and he knows you better than I do, and he wants to bless you. Our tongues are given to speak truth to one another in love. Our noses, okay, I don't have anything for noses. <laughs> I think they're just to smell good cookies. I don't, I'm not really sure. Um, maybe there's something there. You guys can tell me later. Your body is meant for kingdom living. It's not meant to be a wolf taking for its own self. It's meant to bless those around you, to care for the church and for strangers, the afflicted, your marriage and yourself. And let's go with this other final thing, and it's from verse 6. Verse 6 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Our help is found in God. When we're pressed in by the world and, um, and by the circumstances around us, we've got to run to God. Yeah, there are wise actions we can take in life, and there are things we can do uh, when we're in trouble. But Jesus is always the solution. He's always the solution. He's the holder of the universe, the creator of all things, king of all heaven. He stepped down into this place and died for you, that you would find eternal hope in him. The Lord is my helper. You see, 
so often we use our bodies for ourselves, trying to help our own situation, take care of our own needs, and, and work out our own problems. And, and we end up looking at a mirror only and just seeing ourselves and our stuff. And the fact is, when you apply your body to kingdom living, to caring for those that God has placed around you in a sovereign way, you find that you didn't have to work on yourself. The Lord is your helper. As you bless those around you, as you care for the church and strangers, the afflicted, and your marriage and yourself, He takes care of your needs. All those things that you thought were issues in your life that you were so focused on and centered on, they fade away because you see that your body wasn't made for you to get worked up and worried about your own problems, but to see out and hear and listen and help those around you. Our help is found in God. And as we engage in his kingdom, his peace and love flows deeply into our souls. And we find this statement so true. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear What can man do to me? He can't do a thing. Because I serve a king that is greater than all the earth, that is eternal and has blessed me with eternal riches, and my hope is in him. So whatever comes, I am safe in his arms. And so, yes, everything I have is yours, Lord, and I give it to you. You are my helper. You are faithful unto me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for simple, practical statements that that challenge us to look outside of ourselves and, and to those that you've placed around us so fittingly and appropriately and perfectly. God, may you knit us together as a community. May we care for the church. May you open our eyes to that which is outside of this place. I thank you, God, that The day is coming soon when our doors are open freely and we can open more freely to our community. God, I pray that you would give us eyes in the coming year for the needs around us, for the strangers among us, God. Whether believers or not believers, that would welcome them in and show them hospitality and love. God, I pray that we would care for the prisoner and the afflicted like we were there ourselves. Maybe we'd be reminded that Across this globe, there are those in prison for the faith even now who are tortured for Christ, who are put in jail even today. May we unify with them in spirit and be praying for their strength and endurance and doing all that we can to bless them. Lord, may we care for our marriages May we honor marriage as you have honored it. May we respect it as you have set it up, Lord. Not only that we could have peace in our home, but that we could use that relationship that you've given to create beautiful things in this world, to to bless those around us even more. And God, may we even care take care for our hearts guard ourselves against the love of money and be content in what you've provided for us God may we say together that the Lord is my helper what should I be afraid 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.